Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2076. Today, we're going deep into technology in the future. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Brooklyn, New York, with a very special guest by the name of Nick Jordan. Nick, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yeah, I am ready, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I should say, are you ready to release the data? Because that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before I give you a proper introduction, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you, Nick? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I think as you'll, as you'll find throughout this interview, uh, I have a type A personality. I tend to be very outspoken. I'm, I'm, I'm not shy, but I'm incredibly introverted in real life. Really? Uh, I, I joke with people that my, my, my biggest fear in life is walking into a restaurant and not having a sign that says seat yourself or wait to be seated. I, you know, because trying to figure out that situation and who I have to talk to, um, literally scares me to death. Wow. And, and, and you would think as a, as a, you know, CEO that that's not, uh, personality trait that that's fairly common yeah and it may not be but it's certainly one that i have well i promise to make this a fun chat one thing i've learned after interviewing what 2075 people before you is uh most people at the end say we're done i i keep chatting with you so i try to make it light and fun and mostly inspiring for our listeners but you know i've heard this from some other people too and i have friends that are this way as well or they're the other way around i think of them as being very introverted and quiet and then i take them to a car event or something, and then they just kind of blossom when it's something that they're passionate about. So I have no doubt that's going to happen with you today because you're a, a data-driven guy, right? I very much am a data-driven guy, uh, you know, so much so that I've, I've built a career around it. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, we're going to share a lot more with our guests. Let me give you, or with our listeners, I should say, we're going to share a lot more with our listeners. Let me give you a proper introduction. Nick Jordan is the CEO and founder of Narrative. He has spent his career in a data-driven, technology-driven companies like Adobe, TapAd, and Yahoo. Those little guys. Prior to Narrative, Nick was the Senior Vice President, Product Strategy at TapAd, where they helped evolve the company from a media business into data and technology licensing business. TapAd was acquired by Telenor for $360 million back in 2016. Before joining TapAd, Nick ran product management at Demdex, the industry's first data management platform. Demdex was acquired by Adobe in 2011. I see a little trend with you here, Nick. <laughs> Hopefully this will happen with narrative as well. Prior to Demdex, Nick was a senior director at Yahoo, running pricing and yield management for newly acquired assets like Right Media. Now, you listeners may be going, yeah, Mark, but this is cars. Yeah. What does this have to do with cars? You're going to find out in just a minute. But first, a word from our valued sponsor. So give them a little time and we'll be right back. My friends at Covercraft offer you 10 different options. That's right. 10 for your vehicle's protection. You can choose from WeatherShield HP, HD, Sunbrella, Ultratect, Reflect, FormFit, Custom View Shield and their newest five layer all climate cover, three layer moderate climate cover, and a five layer indoor option. You have all sorts of ways to protect your car. All of these are custom tailored by Covercraft's 
talented craftspeople. It's the form and fit with the quality to attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Surface protection is the best way to preserve the investment you've made in your vehicles. It's what I do. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. I have a Covercraft cover for every one of my vehicles, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21, at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off your order, plus you get free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. After listening to Cars Yeah, a buddy of mine ordered his custom Zengen oil analysis kit. And boy, is he glad he did. He thought his 10-year-old car was doing just fine. However, when he got his online Zengen score, the inner workings of his car engine told a very different story. His score was a 5 out of 10, and he learned a major repair was imminent. He shared his report with his mechanic and learned, well, he was facing a $7,000 rebuild. Maybe it's time to sell. Wouldn't you like to know what's lurking under your hood? At only $39.95 and free shipping both ways, your Zengen oil analysis kit is less than an oil change. It takes less than five minutes to collect your vehicle's sample and mail it back to their world-class labs. In only five days, Zengen sends you a link via email to your very own Zengen score. Your custom report measures 30 different data points, including contamination, lubricants, metals, additives, and a whole lot more. My buddy was so glad to learn his score and chose the option before a costly rebuild was needed. Go to ZengenScore.com and use the code CARSYAH20 and get 20% off your first two kits. Boom! What a deal. Preventative knowledge and maintenance could save you thousands and you'll rest better at night knowing that your engine's condition is A-OK or maybe need some help. And remember, Zengen also makes a spectacular Father's Day gift for dad and Father's Day is coming up soon. That's ZengenScore.com and use the code CARSYAH20 for 20% off today. Zengen, you'll rest better at night. Last year, I changed my collector car coverage to American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my Orange Crush. But did you know they also insure your valuable collections of automobilia and other collectibles? If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowner's insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. They insure a lot of items, including automobilia, wine, baseball cards, books, figurines, die-cast models, model trains, glassware, sports memorabilia, toys, and a whole lot more. American Collectors Insurance, they've been protecting us enthusiasts since 1976. They provide you with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a long history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Green's here at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Nick, uh, we are back. So I'd really like to dive into narrative. If you could take us back to why you decided to start this brand, what the brand and the business is all about. And then we're going to dive a little deeper into what this has to do with cars and automobiles. 
Yeah, so my my career has really been focused in product management, and a lot of people say, "Well, what the what the hell is product management?" And, and <laughs> the easiest way to describe it is is uh, looking at problems and, and trying to come up with you know uh, solutions to solve those problems. You know, typically, in in technology driven solutions. Mm-hmm. And so I started Narrative largely because in my last company I found a problem. I assumed that someone else had already solved that problem, and the more I looked, the the, the less I found a solution that I liked. And, and my personality is such that, you know, once I see a problem, I can't unsee it. And if the problem is interesting enough and it's big enough, I can't not go try to fix it. Uh, anyone I've ever been in a relationship with can certainly attest to the, the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm a fixer. And so I, I saw a problem and, and I decided to go solve it uh, on my own. I actually had never had any aspirations to be an entrepreneur. You know, entrepreneurship was not Something that, you know, I, I woke up every morning thinking about it. But but again, this problem that I saw, largely that, that data is complex and organizations need to share it more than they're sharing it today, um, was, was interesting enough that I had to go, I had to go try to solve it. So if you were going to give me that proverbial 60 or 90 second elevator ride explanation, if I just met you and I said, narrative, what's that all about? How would you quickly describe what your company's basic premise is? And the basic premise is simple. We make it easier for companies to to buy, sell, and share data uh, with each other. And you know, typically when I say data, people immediately sort of in, interpret what data means in their head. But really, the the platform was meant for all types of data. And so anything from mobility data, the types of data that that companies use to train their self driving car algorithms, to data about oil and gas before it comes out of the ground and makes it into your car. Uh, all the way to you know data about the weather, which may impact you know how and where and which which cars you drive. I see. Well, I've always thought that information and technology and data is a key to our success, and especially the proper sharing of that communication. Of course, being one not only between people but between companies. And when we dial this down into the automotive world, the cars we drive today have become basically computers on wheels and. These are some of the things that you guys kind of take is all this data-driven, excuse the pun, but I meant it, uh, information in these automobiles we have and use it for a lot of different things. So kind of walk us through some of the many ways, not only that narrative can gather data, but also share it. So it helps not only the consumer, but also the manufacturer. And I would assume also maybe people marketing certain products and needs and services for these uh, folks like us that are going to need them with these uh, computers on wheels. Yeah, absolutely. And so to your point, I mean, a car is is just basically a fancy computer on, on wheels at this point. You know, certainly the, the more modern cars, the the cars with electric power, powertrains and, and, and those that are um, moving towards something uh, closer to uh, autonomy uh, in self-driving vehicles are collecting a ton of data, right? The, the way that autonomous vehicles work is basically to scan the world around them and make decisions based on that. That is just them collecting data and then using that data in a series of algorithms to figure out what to do. And so all of those sensors, be it LIDAR or radar or camera or you know other sensors that are in the car are, are, are forms of data collection. And then depending on, you know, the, the different, you know, folks in, in the, the supply chain uh, uh, that are trying to build those cars, that data may be shared to improve the algorithms or to be shared with uh, local municipalities and jurisdictions about how those self-driving cars are actually moving in the real world and what the policy impact of those things might be. And so I kind of think of that as sort of the R&D research and development part of, of the data collection. 
And then as you move into, into the cockpit, uh, you know, as you, as you will, there is a bunch of data that's being collected around what the driver themselves are doing. And so everything from, you know, the somewhat mundane, what, what is, you know, what music is being played, what radio stations are being uh, uh, tuned into all the way to things that, you know, people are working with insurance companies on to collect uh, telemetry about how the car is actually being driven to, you know, potentially get discounts uh, and, and benefits as is tied to an auto insurance policy. You know, I remember the first time I saw one of those auto insurance ads and they said, here, take this device, put it in your car and blah, blah, blah. And my first thought was, I don't want you spying on me in my car. <laughs> but then again, I went, okay, well, I'm a safe driver. I've not had any accidents all the years I've been driving. I should be rewarded versus lumped in with everyone else. And a lot of the, the Looney Tune drivers I see out there, I don't drive anything like them. And so there's a benefit to that. So if you reanalyze the way this data is being used versus being maybe skeptical as some of us are, and sometimes I tend to be, there's a lot of great uh, uses in what you guys like to call the vibrant ecosystem of data, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think the important thing there is one, making sure that, you know, the, the data that's being collected to the extent that it's being collected about a person, that the person knows it's being collected and that they can opt into how it's being used. And so, you know, the, the thing with the insurance use case is if you think you're a good driver, uh, or, or, you know, you think your driving habits, you know, would give you some benefit of sharing that data with the insurance company and getting a better price, you should be able to opt into that. It should not be a system where they're automatically taking your data and updating your insurance policy based on that fact without your express permission to, to do so. Right. I understand. You know, uh, another thing I want to touch on, and you, you kind of gave a great segue there, is the idea or fear consumers have of too much information being collected on them. And then what is this being used for? And, and you said it very well, the transparency issues, so that we as a consumer know what it is, let's say, narrative is. Is gathering on us or Tesla, if you drive a Tesla, picking them not for any reason, but just because they're kind of the latest, greatest, newest thing. But one thing that stood out to me, I love Porsches. My listeners know this. I was on the Porsche website and I like to go on their configurator and try to figure out, okay, if I could buy any new Porsche, what would it be? And they had this device, which is a front axle lift system. So those cars are low. I have a little bit of an incline in my driveway and I thought, oh, that would be cool. So I don't scrape the car. Um, and then you could program that into your vehicle so that every time you pull up to your house, the axle system lifts the front of the car. So you don't have to push a button and do it. You could do it at work with your driveways at work, speed bumps at the grocery store. So it uses this GPS and I'm thinking, well, that's kind of sweet. Now I w wish they could admit one of those that knows where the potholes are so I don't hit them and break my rims. Yeah, totally. And, and actually, I mean, that's not a crazy ask. I mean, when when we think about data, we, we all use data all the time when we get in the car if we're using any sort of navigation system. You know, that, that navigation isn't just based on, you know, I'm moving from point A and point B and what's the shortest distance to get there. It's actually looking at traffic patterns and in, in real time traffic data to help make sure that you're going a, a route that's going to get you the quickest, not necessarily the shortest. And so that data is being collected from, you know, other folks that have the navigation app open or, or the cars themselves. But you could certainly imagine a scenario where the cars, you know, when someone actually hits a pothole somewhere, it registers that, you know, there was some, you know, vibration that goes above some, you know, uh, preset limit of what's normal and that gets reported. And then if enough of those things happen over time, you're, you know, you would actually get alerted that there was a pothole up ahead so you could avoid it, you know, without, without having hit it on your own. 
Now, if only that information could get to the federal government agency so they could go fix the potholes. Now, now you're talking about what narrative does. So, you know, all those car manufacturers could publish the pothole data into narrative and then, uh, you know, the... The federal uh, highway and, and safety and transportation board could, could buy that. Local municipalities could buy that. Consumers could, could could buy that to create better routes. And that's really where sort of the democratization of data can make everyone's life better at the end of the day. Well, you did a nice job there. I wanted to go back to narrative after our chat, and you did it really, really well. And I could see that in so many capacities. You know, another one I was thinking the other day, my wife is a civil engineer and designing roadways and things like that. And some of the on-ramps and off-ramps around where we live are just terrible. I don't know who designed it, but they're designed to cause an accident. And that kind of information I could see could be fed back to engineers of roadway systems and things going, okay, this was a bad design. It's causing problems, accidents, uh, merge problems, and all those kinds of things. And as cars develop more sensors and can collect all this data, the value, and this is something that I got from your team there, the value goes up over the lifetime of the car because there's just this immense amount of information that you can then take through narrative and then share out to whoever needs it for whatever reason. Is that a good assessment of what you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, we, and we've seen this in non automotive industries. A good example of this is television manufacturers. So, you know, I, over the last 20 years, TVs have gone from these, you know, very, very bulky devices with small screens to, you know, very large devices with very thin screens. Um, but the price has largely stayed the same. I mean, I can go buy a 72 inch TV for probably $500 right now. The problem for the folks, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, I know I'm I'm about to move to a new apartment and buy buy three or four of them, and I'm you know I'm excited that I can get a, a big screen TV without in, entirely breaking the bank. the The problem for the TV manufacturers is when they sell you a five hundred dollar TV, they're really only making five or six dollars after they take out of all of their you know raw cost of you know the materials and the assembly and the shipping and, and all of the things that go alongside of it. And so one of the things that that those TV companies have actually started doing is putting ship in the TV that can understand viewing habits uh, on, on the TV. And so think of it almost like a Nielsen panel that's that's automatically built into the TV. That information is not tied to any individual person or any individual household, but in aggregate, you know, it's a really interesting data set. So now those TV manufacturers are licensing this data and they're probably making more in the data licensing than they are, you know, on a, on a gross margin basis from the television themselves. You know, if, yeah. they, if they make $10 on a $500 TV and over the lifetime of that TV, they can sell $20 worth of data. They've effectively tripled their gross margin. Ah, okay. uh, and, I th- and I think, you know, you'll eventually see that go into all sorts of ha- hardware manufacturers, which I would, you know, sort of sort of group uh, auto companies. You know what this reminds me of is the movie about McDonald's when uh, Ray Kroc figured out or that attorney figured out that his business was not French fries and hamburgers. It was real estate. Very much the same kind of thing is that for these manufacturers of vehicles and devices and all the things we have in our home now, realizing that this data is super valuable in a wide variety of ways. The other part of it, too, is kind of like the Apple Watch. I bought one for my mom. She's, you know, a little older. I won't say you're old, mom, Uh, but she's older than me. Has to be. and (laughs) By by definition. I hope so. Yeah. Now that it's uh, just Mother's Day recently. And one of the things that's great about that is, you know, if she has a fall um, and hits her head, knocked out, that watch will alert people and say, hey, you know, come and help. Um, I mean, all there's just 
some really cool aspects of this. And I want to go back for just a second, the idea that you mentioned of transparency for consumers so that this is really perceived as an added value because the go-to seems to be for a lot of people is, oh, well, you're spying on me. You're going to collect information. Now you know my underwear size, as if anybody cares. But uh, how can companies like Narrative be more transparent and then in turn help your clients be more transparent? So those of us in the consumer world can look at this in a different way and not be so, so skeptical, if I could say the yeah. word. <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, so I think there's a couple of things. So one, Narrative actually as a company doesn't buy data or sell data. We we license software to our customers who, who buy and sell data. Certainly we build features into that software that, that make it easier for them to be transparent um, with their customers uh, and, and, and also with consumers more broadly. I think the other thing that companies need to do, and this is, there's a whole host of things that people do to sort of cover their ass, right? You know, the, the, the things that the lawyers tell you to do to make sure that you're, you know, you're doing the quote unquote right thing. I think, frankly, companies should spend more time talking about how they actually use the data because when, when they talk about what data they're collecting and how they're using it, often, oftentimes it's not nearly as scary as people think it is, you know, before they understand what the company is actually doing with it. But I think we've sort of gotten into this reinforcing cycle where, you know, the, you know, the lawyers have you do the lawyerly thing. The companies are worried that the consumers are going to be uh, scared of the data that's collected and how it's used. So they don't say anything about it. The consumers, you know, don't know what the companies are doing because they're not talking about it. And so now they're worried and, and it sort of feeds on itself. I think a, a good, healthy ecosystem would be much more transparent on both sides, not just in we're collecting this data, you know, click this button to opt out sort of thing, but to say, Hey, I'm making your life better by, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, Sirius XM radio might be collecting data so they can, you know, play more songs you're, you're likely to, to want to listen to. You know, the cars might be collecting data on potholes so you don't hit the potholes. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, you know, the, it may, you know, data may be collected to predict, you know, how weather is going to impact the, you know, the various traction control settings in the car, et cetera, et cetera. Like when you can actually see the benefit of this stuff, it's much less scary than when it's just this nebulous thing called data that's being collected. Well, I agree with you hundred percent. And maybe that's my marketing background. I always find it fascinating. A good example was years ago, I was at the grocery store with somebody and uh, the checker says, here's some coupons. And they give you these, this, you know, four or five discount coupons for something. And you look at him, you go, I remember the person I was with said, well, this is scary. They know what I'm buying. I said, well, yeah, but they just gave you some discount coupons so that you could save some money. Why is that a bad thing? Why do you care? You, you know, why do you care? They know you're buying ice cream. <laughs> yeah, and and they kind of knew that you were buying ice cream already. Is the other thing. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there there are certain things. You know, when I when I walk into a public square and you know yell something, I I don't expect no one to listen to it because I'm yelling. And so you know, I, I think again, I think data has this aura around it that it's always bad and it's always being used for you know bad things and i think you know if if most people were to see how companies leverage data one they could see that the companies you know really don't care about any individual they care about the data in aggregate and oftentimes it's actually being used to create a better experience and not to do something nefarious yeah, I would agree too. And it's the same when you go and try to find a product you're looking for. I was recently this weekend looking for a car part that is for an old car and I wasn't having any luck. And this morning my media feed is full of, and I found the part I needed. And I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Now I don't have to spend hours searching the internet. They found me and I ordered the part and 
as long as it gets here, I'll be happy. It's a cool deal. Let's talk a little bit about what I like to call driving inspirations. Uh, people who've been maybe key mentors or successful influencers in your life. Is there somebody like that for you? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole host of people, frankly. The, the one person that jumps into my head uh, is a friend of mine. His name is Roby Ganguly. Now that's a name. <laughs> it, it is. I, I, I love saying Roby Ganguly. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, I think he loves when people say it as well. Yeah. I, I met Roby, I don't know, 15 years ago, probably at this point. Uh, uh, we were both working at Yahoo. Uh, I actually worked on the same pricing and yield management team that, that he was on, and we became friends um, outside of the office. And, you know, Roby and I could not be too different of people philosophically, personality wise. I mean, we just, you know, we're, we're sort of oil and water, but, but we get along really well. Yeah. And where he really inspires me is, you know, he started a company well before I started Narrative. And as anyone that's ever started a company will tell you, you know, there, there are a lot of ups and downs and oftentimes more downs than up in, in the early, uh, the early parts of oh, entrepreneurship. Boy. Yeah. You know, Roby always attacked the company that he started and, and the name of the company is Aptentive with such a positive attitude. You know, no matter how bad things were, how frustrated he was, how much work there was to do, you know, how, tall of a mountain there was to climb. He always came at it, you know, uh, you know, as if it was just another day in the office and he was going to conquer everything. Mm -hmm. He had a, he had a saying for the longest time that annoyed the hell out of me on, on Monday mornings, he would always tweet, go Monday, go. <laughs> uh, and I was, you know, it was just like, you know, it's like those people that get out of bed and yeah. in a really good mood. And you're just like, why? I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Yes. But looking, but, but looking back on it, you know, he, he really found a way to motivate himself and, and sort of, you know, get through the, the really hard times. And now the company is doing incredibly well. And, and he, he, uh, ironically tweets, go Monday, go, uh, a lot less than he used to, but I think it's largely because he doesn't need to motivate himself anymore because he's sort of gotten over some of those those early challenges. And so I know I know when I started narrative and, and again, had challenges of my own, I always looked at Roby and, and was really inspired by him. Sounds like an awesome person to have in your life. And uh, I've had people in my life like that, that attitude is the key to success in so many situations. And it can really change an ordeal into an adventure, no matter what it might be. So I even created a meme around that concept uh, to help people that are having a tough time. So very cool. You go, Roby. Love that name. Ganguly. What a great name. We'll be back in just a minute. But first, a word or a second word from some of our sponsors here. Give them a little love and we'll be right back. 20. 50 or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration Preservation and mentorship is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM apprenticeship program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, 
driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS yeah when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So Nick, uh, let's talk about a big challenge. I ask all my guests the big challenge question. Some of them are a little fearful of this, but it's really more about how an obstacle, a challenge, a failure affected them in a positive way, and that is they learned something valuable out of it that they could take forward. Kind of goes back to that saying of how you approach things and how you think of things. For some people, Monday is a challenge. For others, like Roby, it's not. Uh, Take us on a bit of a bumpy ride, if you would. Yeah. Like I said, you know, entrepreneurship is is a series of, of challenges. I think if I go back to the the earliest days of of the company, you know, I, and I like to say this to this day, you know, startups have no business succeeding. You have <laughs> no product, you have no customers, you have very little money, you have no brand recognition. I mean, you, you don't have any of the things that you know sort of make someone make make something into a successful company. Um, but I, I think the you know the earliest early you know challenges that we had early on. We're on finding folks that you know really understood you know how how much work it took uh, and how hard it was to start a company. One experience in particular is you know I hired a, a guy that had actually previously been a mentor to me uh, earlier in my career. Great guy, one of the hardest workers I, I had ever worked with in my career, and I was you know convinced that he was going to you know come into the company and and, and make us succeed. Uh, and you know, what we found was that he had moved to a point in his career where, you know, he wasn't the person that had to do all the work anymore, you know, and in his previous companies, he had a team or an assistant or, you know, and, and so it just, you know, wasn't a great fit for our company at the stage that it was at. The harder part of it is I was, I was friends with him, you know, I, oh, I, yeah. I liked him. I brought, I brought him into the company, you know, not just because I thought he'd be good for the company, but because I, you know, I knew he was a good person. And so, you know, having to, having to fire uh, a friend uh, and, and a mentor from uh, the company yeah, it's hard. Is, is not easy, you know, but you learn from it. And, and I think that's the key to anything is sort of, you know, there's, there's going to be challenges and you have to learn from them over time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm a bit of a nerd, as as you could probably tell by being being in the data industry. But I saw a flowchart the other day, which was you know, situation that you're happy with the outcome, you know, do nothing. Situation that you're unhappy with the outcome, but you can't change it, do nothing. Uh, situation when you're unhappy with the outcome and you can change it, uh, change it. And, and like you know, those were the three things, right? And it's like in, that's you know, you're, you're you're dealt a hand, and you have to deal with that hand, and and you know, that's kind of I think maybe the one thing that entrepreneurship has really taught me is like you you you, you play the hand that you're dealt, and you do it as best as you can. And if you you know you lose the hand, then you move on to the next hand. If you win the hand, then you're gonna take down the pot, but you move on to the next hand, and there's always going to be another challenge in front of you. And I and you know I. 
I do see challenges as learning opportunities more so than, you know, bumps in the road. Yeah. You know, this is funny correlation to this comment that you just mentioned, Nick, but the the series, we just, my wife and I just finished watching the, I think it's Netflix, might be Hulu, I can't remember. Anyway, the Ozarks. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Ozark, but at any rate, the main character there, a guy plays Marty. Um, I saw somebody this morning who's a business coach, coach pers- uh, post. I wish I could handle every situation like Marty does. And for those folks listening who watch Ozarks, they're probably laughing right now going, yeah, how did that guy survive? Of course, it's fantasy, it's TV, it's movies. But uh, that guy did exactly what you just did. When something came up that he couldn't do anything about and it was horrible, he just moved on. And when he could do something, he made a decision, he swallowed that frog and he moved on. So, um, yeah, Marty comes. Yeah, well, and, and, and I find when you don't want to do something, the the anxiety of doing it is always a lot worse than the doing of it itself. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I I try to tell people, you know, just get, get it over with, rip off the bandaid. It's not going to be as bad as you think it is, and and you'll feel much better having it, you know, gotten, you know, pushed it behind you. Oh well, that's why I like that saying, swallow that frog. I always try to do the things I least want to do in a day first thing. Just swallow that frog and move on. When we look forward to your bucket list wishes for narrative, what are some of the the big hairy ideas? goals, uh, to quote uh, Jim Collins' good to great book, uh, that you'd like to see with with your business and narrative? Yeah, I mean, with the business, uh, you know, I, w- I want to build a great company. I, you know, I want it to be a place where people want to work and where they want to develop their career. And, you know, I want our customers to love the products that we're creating. And, you know, I, I think from that comes good outcomes. You know, I think everyone assumes that, that you know, startup founders and entrepreneurs are, you know, just want to sell the company or they just want to go public or they just want to, you know, these are all synonyms for make money. And, you know, certainly I love money as much as the next person or maybe, maybe more than the next person. <laughs> but, but, you know, I find that if, you know, that's, that's sort of a side effect of building a great business more yeah. so than it is sort of the, the final destination itself. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, the, the, the goals are not, audacious. I think, you know, every company is a, is a collection of very small achievements uh, and doing, you know, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of small things right. And, and that's really how I, I like to think about running the company day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about cars a little bit more here. I'd love for you to share a special vehicle that's been in your life and take us on a little bit of ride in that, uh, for a ride yeah. in that ride. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm 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 gonna assume that the, the, I'll be the first of your 2,000 plus guests that have named a Dodge Neon. Uh, is it the is the special vehicle in my life? Sure, you're the first. But I'll tell you something funny about those. When those cars came out, there was a Dodge Neon series for racing, kind of like spec Miatas, and I almost yeah. I almost bought one because I thought this is kind of cool. It's a it's a cheap entry level racing program. Yeah, actually, my uh, it's funny because the, the neon was my parents. They also had a tenth anniversary Miata uh, as oh, well, okay. which was a okay. special edition. But the, the 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 neon was actually my my mom's car. It was um, it was like a, a neon purple, <laughs> uh, yeah. and so you know it was the kind of car you see you see coming down the street. And you know when I was in high school, when I was sixteen years old, I was uh, you know taking driver's ed. I was trying to get my license, and that would be the car that I would 
take out, you know, originally with, with my parents yeah. uh, and, and then eventually in driver's ed class and then eventually with my friends. And there were just, you know, a lot of really good, you know, silly 16-year-old times in, in a Dodge Neon in Western New York. <laughs> cool. uh, and so, I, you know, I, I, still, I still just think back of that as sort of, you know, your first car, even though it wasn't my own, um, is, is always pretty special. Uh, and, you know, the, you, don't, you don't see the Neon very often and you probably couldn't pay me to get behind the wheel of one today. But, uh, you know, it still holds a special place in my heart. Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain you're the first Dodge Neon. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes you even more special today, Nick. <laughs> that's, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty cool. So I'm going to be your car psychologist. And you said at the beginning of this, you're a bit of an introverted kind of guy, even though you're a, a type A. I, I kind of see how that works. But I'm going to be your car psychologist. If you were reincarnated, pun intended, or manifest as a vehicle, has nothing to do with what you want to be. We all want to be a cool, fast Ferrari, most of us at least. This is more about how you perceive yourself as the man in the mirror as a vehicle. What would a Nick, a Jordan be? But more importantly, why? Yeah, so I think I'd be an El Camino. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, you know, they they've, they they certainly have some style. And I, I'd like to think that I have a, a little bit of style. <laughs> there you go. Um, maybe they're the, the opposite of a, of a mullet. Instead of being, you know, business up front and party in the back, they're, you know, uh, <laughs> they're, they're business in the back and party up front. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I, I, every time I see an El Camino, which is, you know, rare, especially in, in New York City day to day, I always, I always get a kick out of them. They're, you know, they're a little bit odd. I'm, you know, certainly a little bit odd, you know. Know, they're functional. I like to think that I'm functional, uh, and and you know I think with the right you know uh, refurbish with the right you know upgrade you know they can they can be pretty damn cool. You know yeah I always loved the El Caminos and I remember when the I think it was I hope I got the name right the Subaru Brat came out that was kind of like a, a Asian version of the El Camino. It even had two plastic seats in the back with seat belts that were in the open back. Do you remember those? I, I do not. You, you have to you, hold on a second. I'm going to make sure I get this right. Yeah. The reason I say this is I had a friend with one and I thought, how did the attorneys ever justify this? Oh, I see it with the, 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 the backward spacing. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. I got it right. Yeah. Yeah. So the Subaru Brat was one of those things that came out. And I always thought, how do the attorneys ever let that get through because I, I can't now they did have seatbelts believe it or not in the back of those little things there there were seatbelts to kind of keep your guy your passenger in there from flying out because you know back of a truck type vehicle but uh yeah that was kind of like a modern version of the el camino i don't know if it was ever really successful but uh I mean, I, I remember very well growing up in, in the back of my grandfather's pickup truck with, with no seats and no, no seat belts and him, you know, going down the highway. What, you know, what seemed like 70 miles an hour, he was probably going 45. Um, but, you know, I guess you get got to give him credit for putting the seats back there with the seat belts. I guess so. Yeah. So let's talk about a great book that you've enjoyed reading that you'd like to share. Yeah. So I am famously, maybe not so famously, uh, not a huge reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably read one book a year if I'm, if I'm lucky. Uh, I probably read, you know, 7,000 Wikipedia pages a day. Uh, <laughs> yes. if I'm unlucky, uh, the, the one that I read most recently that I, that I liked is a, is a book called Meet Me in the Bathroom. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a book about, uh, the New York City rock and roll scene, uh, from the early 2000s to about 2010, oh. which is, you know, about the same time I moved, moved to New York City. And so, you know, it sort of brings me back from an audio perspective, but also a lot of the 
a lot of the bars, a lot of the you know places that the you know the book actually takes place in uh, are the places that I went back in the day. Uh, so it's a good piece of nostalgia for me, and it's a really good and fun read. Yeah, I just looked at Lizzie Goodman is the author to that Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City. There you go. So interesting. You're the you've got a couple first today. I'm very impressed here, Nick. Uh, after this many guests, sometimes I hear repeats. So uh, yeah, that special vehicle story, the neon, and now this book. So we can add that to the Cars yeah recommended reading list. So I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive today. I'm going to buy you any vehicle you would like in the world. Doesn't matter how much it is. I'm going to be like that wonder angel investor that swoops in and just says, how much do you need? And you can take this vehicle anywhere you want in the world and you can be with anybody you'd like, even somebody who's passed, which opens up the world to all sorts of opportunities. What does that ultimate drive look like for you? Yeah, so I, I actually started with the the drive and, and not the car. Uh, I've always wanted to sort of drive around the French countryside. So starting in Paris, going through, you know, various, you know, villages and small towns and, and, and the different wine regions of France. Uh, you know, I, I love a good, I love a good glass of red wine and sort of a, you know, I love a super high end you know, glass of red wine from France. And so I think that would be a fun trip on its own. I, I feel like. If we're going to go around the French countryside, we should probably do it in a, in a French car. So the uh, Citroen SM oh, cool. would be would be my choice because I you know you don't want to look out of place uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in in the French countryside. Although my lack of being able to speak French would certainly have me stick out like a like a sore <laughs> thumb. And the 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 guess that I would take has I guess very little to do with France, but kind of goes back to a musical theme. So Mike Diamond, who uh, is slash was one of the members of the Beastie Boys, would be who who I would bring. He he's actually also very in into wine, and so we would certainly have that to be able to talk about on the trip. Um, but the Beastie Boys are also one of my you know all time favorite favorite bands, and you know hearing you know his stories from the you know, the eighties and nineties with the Beastie Boys, I think would be uh, an unforgettable trip. Nick, you're one uh, interesting fella. That is a very unique answer to that question. And I've heard lots of very unique answers, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, (laughs) drinking wine in a Citroen with the Beastie Boy. There you go. I like it. So before I let you go, and you've taken us on a fun ride today, interesting technological ride, could you leave us with maybe some words of inspiration or inspiration, a success quote or some advice? I mean, my favorite advice is to tell people not to listen to other people's advice. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I say, I kind of say that jokingly because, you know, I think, you know, we can all learn from each other, uh, certainly. But it, all advice comes with the context, you know, by which that advice was generated. So, you know, the, the, the advice I might give your listeners or, or to you is going to be based on my life experiences and the context of, 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 of my life. And that doesn't always apply apply to the people that, that I'm giving the advice to. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, what I usually urge people to do is, you know, sort of list, listen to, to the advice, but put it in the context of your own situation. You know, there is no easy button. There is no playbook that, you know, if you just do these things, you will be successful. There are things, you know, that may lead to success for one person and failure for someone else. And so and I, it may not be inspirational to say, you know, ignore me and all of my advice and everyone else's advice, but it, it is often the advice that I give to people. There you go. I love it. Another unique answer from Nick today. How can people learn more about Narrative? Yeah, so they can go to the website at uh, narrative.io. They can uh, follow us on Twitter at narrative underscore IO. I'm sure if they go to LinkedIn and search for, for narrative or narrative IO, they'll find it there uh, as well. 
And then for me personally, uh, I tweet uh, sometimes unadvisedly. <laughs> uh, it's and, and, and my name on Twitter is Nick, N-I-C-K, underscore, underscore Jordan. There you go. I'll put links to all these on Nick Jordan show notes page. Uh, you know, data is becoming more and more valuable for all of us these days. And uh, I think if we just all give it a different type of opinion or outlook, and Nick's done that for us today, we can see the benefits it'll have for all of us moving forward. I want to do a thank you shout out to uh, marketing and PR consultant Wahid Loden and Caroline Kropke at Pace Public Relations for introducing me to Nick. Thank you, you too. I greatly appreciate it. Nick, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing some very cool information with us today. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me, Mark. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.